0: We are approaching spooky season.
1: Spooky season.
0: This will be spooky season round three, guys. I'm excited. I, you all know how much we look forward to our spooky episodes. Spooky. And we're getting a really unique, I would say, episode for spooky season. I forgot what we were doing, but yes. Yeah, the.
1: Don't, don't spoil it.
0: The the thingy. The thingy. With the.
1: (laughs) Ha ha ha. And the Big Apple. Big I Apple. I no fucking clue what you're talking ah, about. That's your hint. But it's Stranger. Oh, you're talking about a bonus episode, not our actual episode yes. that we're doing. Thank
0: you. Thank okay. you.
1: No. I but, was very confused. I was like, who the hell are you covering? That's no. not who I thought you were covering.
0: No, 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 no. Um, but we have some really cool plans lined up for spooky season. So.
1: <laughs> now that I remember what they are.
0: Yeah. They're going to be fun. Uh, but my question is. As spooky season approaches, choose a rock star and choose a costume and choose a Halloween party location.
1: Okay. I've been wanting to be this for years, but I haven't had like a... Because there hasn't been a Halloween party in like two Halloweens, I feel like. Uh, I really want to dress up as... I want to break free Freddie Mercury where he dresses up as a lady with the the vacuum. Yeah. So that. And then we're going to have the party... I don't know. We can just have it at someone's house. But I want to wear that costume with the, the tank top, like the pink dress outfit. I have bangs now. I can pull it off.
0: Yes. Okay. Here's what I want to do.
1: I need a mustache.
0: I've thought about this in my life. So it's a little raunchy, but I'm going to do it anyway. So Janice Joplin, I'm trying to remember if it was a cover for something, but she has this photo of her topless with these beads. Now I'm yes. not gonna go
1: topless. It was a cover for something. Yeah, it
0: was a cover for something. I'm not gonna go personally topless because that's a a smidge out of the comfort zone. I'm not quite on the free the nipple train quite yet. Fair, fair. But I'm gonna get a breastplate like drag queens get, and it'll look like it.
1: There you go. And then I'll
0: so it's literally coverage, you know, covering, yeah. but I'm still in costume. And the party is going to be at Bethel Woods where Woodstock ah. actually happened.
1: That that's gonna be uh Shewa twenty twenty three Halloween. Yeah. We're gonna rent out the Woodstock site and have it. Dude,
0: that would be fun. Would be we should dope. we should do an episode sometime from there.
1: We should. We'll just we probably
0: can pull some strings. We'll just
1: set up in the woods and just like
0: Dude, just hide around the, the campus.
1: Yes. Yes. We'll we'll vlog it or something weird. Yeah. I don't know what we'll do. Anyway. I'm Bethan. And I'm Leah. And this is She Will Rock You. Where are they getting a dub in a CPS
0: executive <laughs> <laughs> meeting? No. no. Bitch, don't touch my thermostat. We <laughs> the ghost be like, pull up before I
1: haul you. Let me turn down the thermostat. <laughs> this is bad. We're on page one, guys. <laughs> this is she will rock you. We should read a review because we did not read a review we last should. week, and I know which review I want to read because we got a new one. Again, oh yeah. Sorry that I'm skipping all over the queue of of reviews.
0: I'm gonna get some of this I'm diet snapple. Have
1: to go to our text thread because um,
0: while you're pulling that up, can I go. can I just lodge a complaint? Sure. The Snapple company. What the fuck happened? You got rid of your glass
1: bottles. You got rid of the happy sun. And the cap is a plastic twist cap. Where's the fact? Where's the
0: fun fact?
1: The point of drinking a Snapple. Every
0: Saturday, every Saturday in New York, growing up as a young buck, I'd get a bagel and I'd get a Snapple. Either it had to be peach or raspberry. And I'd look forward to reading that Snapple fact. And now... I just see a regular bottle like the other corporate America of teas.
1: Yeah, that's pretty boring. Yeah. Anyway, All right, I found it. We got a new review from our friend Thomas Carter Rochester of Lights Thunder Action. You may also know him as Thor if you follow him on social media. You may also
0: know him as the Jelly Bean voiceover guy. Yes.
1: So he said, for those about to rock, we stand this podcast. Leah and Beth Ann are hilarious individuals, and when you put them together, there's a fire that burns brightly. Like a phoenix that hasn't died yet, because rock will never die. Nor will the chemistry between... I just realized you're supposed to be reading this, because it's my week. (laughs) (laughs) That's alright. Continue. You can have my slot. Okay, Like a phoenix that hasn't died yet, because rock will never die. Nor will the chemistry between co-hosts as they dive into the history of my parents' life soundtrack. Shout out to the hippie parented millennials. Mm -hmm. If you're not listening to this podcast and are simultaneously reading this review, then grab some headphones, grab a beer, crank it up to 11, and let She Will Rock You podcast make rock love to your brain. (laughs) And then it's a little mic drop. (laughs) I,
0: I love Thomas. <laughs> Thomas is like, you know, we've made an amazing community of people. Uh, and Thomas him. has become like one of my favorite people in this community that we've been a part of.
1: And I met Thomas because of the show. it's I met because we both listened to um, Return of the Pod. Formerly, oh, that's right. Formerly known as another name that's now dead because they got sacked by the company they're working yeah. under, but uh, if you like Star Wars, check out Return to the Pod. Yeah,
0: and if definitely you, check out Lights, Thunder, Action. Yes, if
1: you like Marvel, check out Lights, Thunder, Action. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of Marvel stuff getting ready to happen, so. Oh, yeah. Uh, today, we have the episode that our lovely listeners voted on. I did a little bracket. It got a little out of hand. <laughs> we had the Wiggles in there for way too I long. I would like
0: to thank the audience for uh, downvoting the Wiggles that was a close one. You motherfuckers made it way
1: too close. <laughs> way too close. They made it to but like round right. 3 of 5. So, they I think they got slaughtered by It might have been Tom Petty that finally knocked the Wiggles down, but um we're talking about Tom Petty because he won by a landslide and um the runner up of that Cole may make an appearance very soon. No one probably knows who that is anymore. So, surprise when we get there. But I couldn't let that person slide either. But today, talking about Tom Petty, who I have to say, going into this, was someone I did not know much about. Yeah, I only know than,
0: a song he did with Stevie Nicks.
1: Yeah, I knew that he and Stevie were not lovers, but really good friends. Right. Um, And I knew that he did Wildflowers, And I knew he did Don't Back Down, which is in that Nickelodeon Barnyard movie. (laughs) (laughs) And that was kind of all I knew. So let's talk about Tom Petty. Tom Petty was born on October 20th, 1950 in Gainesville, Florida. Mm, We got our first Floridian. Is this really the first time we've talked about Floridamen? I'm pretty sure. Wow. I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. No. Most rock stars are not from Florida.
0: And there's a reason for that. Yeah.
1: this <laughs> He got out of Florida really fast. We will see. He's the oldest son or the first of two sons to Kitty Petty, which is not a good name. Sorry, Kitty, uh, who worked in the local tax office and Earl Petty, who was a traveling salesman. He had a younger brother named Bruce, who was seven years younger. My my little brother is seven years younger. So we have that in common. And Tom was a very rebellious child. I watched the VH1 Behind the Music special, and his dad tells a story about how when Tom was four years old, he found a quarter, and he wanted to go to town to spend it, but his dad told him he was too young to go alone, because he mm-hmm. was four, and he needed to wait till his mom went got home, so little itty-bitty Tom just puts the quarter in his pocket and starts walking towards town, um, which got him a spanking, but his dad said also set the way for how he lived his life. He just did what he wanted. Damn. Uh, According to Tom, his father found it very difficult to accept that he was a mild-mannered kid who was interested in the arts and not sports, um, and regularly subjected him to both verbal and physical abuse on a regular basis. So rock star checkbox of shitty dad checked, but he was always really close to his mother and to Bruce. He started getting interested in rock and roll music at the age of 10 when he met who else but Elvis Presley. i will do it. Um, so in that summer of 1961, when he was 10, he lived near Ocala, Florida, which at the time was a really big filming location. Yeah, And his uncle actually worked on the set of the Elvis Presley film, follow that dream. And he just brought his nephew to work one day and he instantly became obsessed with Elvis Presley. He, like, went back home after this trip with his uncle. This is a Forrest Gump story. It really it
0: kind of is. <laughs> Continue.
1: Because he goes back home after this trip to Alcala and trades his beloved whammo slingshot to someone. I don't know who, but he gets a box of Elvis Presley singles and the rest of his course of his life was set. Wow. So he sacrificed his slingshot. In a 2006 interview, Tom Petty said that he knew he wanted to be in a band the minute he saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. So this is your this is your classic rock star origin story. Like <laughs> what movies have been based off. Of. Yeah, pretty much. I'm not sure we're not citing Forrest Gump at this point. Yeah. Um, he said the minute that I saw the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show, and it's true of thousands of guys. This is my way out. This is the way to do it. You get your friends and you're a self-contained unit and you make the music. And it looked like so much fun, and it was something that I identified with. I'd never been that hugely into sports. I'd been a big fan of Elvis, but I saw in the Beatles that there was something that I could do. I knew I could do it. And it wasn't long before there were groups springing up in garages all over the place. Um, Tom's dad bought him his first guitar for a whole $28. Wow, that's a deal. It is a a steal. He did not steal it, though, unlike some other people we've talked about. Uh, And he immediately became obsessed and... In this interview with his dad, his dad was like, he had that thing attached to him for like years, Mm -hmm. days, nights, wherever he went. He'd just eat, sleep, and play guitar. And then in ninth grade, he starts his very first band, as as all ninth grade boys do. They're called the Sundowners. Not the worst name. Not the worst. Very Floridian. They only last for two years. Um, But they get him into a little bit of trouble because he's so obsessed with being in a band. That in a year of school he misses forty two days. <laughs> <laughs> what was he doing? He was skipping to go rehearse and play but with
0: like, but like that means the other guys skipped forty two days. I don't know if they were with him. I don't know if he. Just, so he just he, did it for fun. He just really was obsessed with playing guitar. Why didn't he just like bring it to school and like play in a practice room like the rest of us? I
1: don't know. Somehow he did manage to graduate high school. That's impressive. I don't know how. That's super impressive. Um but uh, clearly he did not go to college cuz he had other dreams um somewhere around this time not specifically sure if he was in college or rightly freshly out of college he starts a band known as the epics okay which later evolved into mud crutch um uh, wrong direction but i don't like it yeah uh they named mud crutch after the farm where two of the band members lived mud crutch farm
0: that's a terrible name for a farm.
1: It's a terrible name for a farm. It's a terrible name for a band that's in the Americana rock scene. Yeah. That it's very much a, like, metal band name. <laughs>
0: it's not a... Why? Because mud? Because <laughs> mud. Yeah. Mud crutch. I see how you feel about my people. <laughs> <laughs> they have a band called Puddle of Mud, okay? That's not metal! <laughs> the fuck's wrong with you? We
1: don't claim them. <laughs> that's butt rock. <laughs> but- <laughs> anyway... Um, so the band would eventually become the Heartbreakers um, and included future Heartbreak member, Heartbreakers members, Mike Campbell, and a guy named Ben Mott Tench, which he has the worst name ever. I'm sorry. Yeah. Ben Mott. Um, and they were popular in Gainesville. But that was about it. Yeah, There's not a lot happening in Florida for the music scene. Um, they all lived... Uh, and rehearsed in this literal shack on the edge of town that had a field around it. that was Mud Crutch Farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1971, they held the first ever Mud Crutch Farm Festival <laughs> <laughs> that got them shut down by the cops and
0: then evicted from the property. Why do I just see, like, like as if it was raining and it's just muddy and people are just like sliding in the mud? Like, we're it's, talking Woodstock style. It's Florida,
1: so it's probably how it happened. <laughs> They were really loud. It just didn't go over well. Yeah. And so they stayed around Gainesville for a couple more years. But by 1974, they're like, OK, we got to get out of Florida. They sent demo tapes to L.A. Mm-hmm. They got some interest. And so they were like, all right, let's move to L.A. And so they pack everyone up in a van. and They go to L.A. and entertain these offers. And once in L.A., they sign with Shelter Records um, and in the first recording session for this this record deal that they've gotten, they very quickly learned that just because they could play it live did not mean they could make a record. <laughs> um, two different things. Two very different things. And the label didn't like the other guys writing. They only wanted to record the songs that Tom wrote, mm-hmm. which of course the rest of the band didn't like so much. Right. Um, so they end up releasing a single, Depot Street, and by the time this comes out, the band has broken up. Mud crutch is no more. So Tom says, Fine, I don't wanna like move back to Florida. I wanna stay in LA. So he starts to make a solo record and he uses session players. He wasn't he didn't love it. Like mm-hmm. he he wanted to be in a band since he saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. Like he's right. a band guy. Um so while he's, you know, figuring his life out, he ends up getting married to a woman named Jane Benyo in 1974. They do later get divorced in 1996. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, Jane is important because she's his wife, but also because um, when Jane once met Stevie Nicks at a party, she said that she met Tom at the age of 17. But with her little North Florida accent, Stevie mm-hmm. heard Edge of 17 and then wrote a hit song about it.
0: Really? Yes. She's the inspiration behind Edge of Seventeen.
1: Yes. That's so cool. Yes. Um, this episode is not really the time or place to go into the Stevie Tom relationship because that's mm-hmm. that's a whole episode in itself. Um, but they were really good friends for over forty years before he died. Yeah. Um, and they worked together closely pretty much his entire life. Um, so that's all I'll say about that because there's a lot of other stuff to talk about. So now Tom is married. They're living in L.A. He's figuring out what he wants to do with his life. Um, and he decides, let's make a new band. And they make Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. He brings back Mike Campbell. And uh, Mike Campbell plays lead guitar. And Ben Tench on keys from Mud Crutch. But they also add Ron Blair on bass and Stan Lynch on drums. Mm-hmm. And they release a self-titled debut album Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. It's a great name. Yeah. I don't know why they named it the Heartbreakers. I didn't put that in here for some reason. Normally Um, Just a I good do. name. Um, and it was it did okay in the US but it did way better in Britain. Because they have class. I, I don't know. They have taste. Britain does not recognize their own talent as we have discussed. That is true. Um, You always make it in the country you're not from. Mm-hmm. It's the moral of, of this head podcast. start podcast. <laughs> Hello, UK. <laughs> and, yeah, we have more and listeners in Venezuela, oh, we and have, Canada, and Sweden. Hello, and Sweden. Sweden. We get a lot of you from Sweden. Um, so, from the start, the group had like a different sound than a lot of bands at the time. They took this influence from the fifties and sixties rockers that they loved, um, like the Elvises. And the Beatles. Um, and they wrapped them up in these like three minute, really well written nuggets. I don't know where I got that sentence from, but I wrote it in here.
0: It's a, you know, it's it's a well articulated sentence, Leah.
1: Their early singles included Breakdown and a song that I guarantee you everyone listening knows, American Girl. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would be two more years before they hit it the big time. It They did so bad after this album came out that at one point benmont tench calls his local radio station wherever he's living at the time and asks them to play something by tom petty and the heartbreakers and they told him we don't play that shit here Holy sh- <laughs> oh my god that is like
0: a straight arrow to the ego
1: yeah, he tells that story in the vh1 special and you can tell he just was like he's still not over it <laughs> yeah it's all right, his time will come. <laughs> they, they will get famous, obviously, or we would not be talking about them. Um, so in the late summer of 1977, their song Anything That's Rock and Roll charted in the UK. And so this was their chance to get some momentum going, because it's clearly not happening over here. So they go to the UK and open for a guy named Niels Lafkin. And when they get back to the US, they're working really hard to get their momentum up. And they get a gig at the Whiskey A Go-Go. Oh, nice. Opening up for this new band called Blondie.
0: Oh.
1: You might have heard of them. Um, and that actually got, that gig got them attention of a U.S. record buyer. And they end up getting their first top 40 single with Breakdown in 1978. So then we get into our favorite topic on this show. Record label legal drama. Woo. I live for the legals. Um. There's a lot of legal drama with Tom Petty and I cut some of it out, but it's, it's important to understand wh- where and how Tom was being treated by his record label to understand Tom. Mm-hmm. So in 1978, there's still, he's still signed with Shelter Records, which he signed that original deal with Mud Crutch. They kept him. Um, Shelter gets acquired by ABC Records. And this really worries Tom because Shelter had kind of just like let them do what they want. They weren't very controlling. And he was really worried about losing the autonomy that he had had for the last at least I think it's been like four years at this point. Mm -hmm. So he renegotiates his contract with ABC to ensure that things are going to be the same. The band's still going to get support. Um, and he like, they finished these negotiations and ABC turns around and sells the whole company to MCA records. Like that's, bef- a, that's a dick move. It's a really dick move. Like, why would you, ugh, that pisses me off. Like they had to have known they were in the process of it. It pissed Tom off too, because he felt like he was being treated like a piece of meat. Um, so he sued them. But his legal team was like, you know, let's, this is not worth our fight. Let's just move yeah. get a new record label. So he, they're, they do some, I don't even know, they do some legal stuff. They get out of the deal that they made when, back when they were Mudcrutch because they'd just been like renewing it. Um, but under the royalty rate that they were being paid, they could never pay back the amount of money that they had been fronted with Shelter Records. So they would forever be in debt. So the band has to declare bankruptcy. Ooh. Get things rearranged so that they can get out of their contract. Um, which was a really shitty thing for them at the time. Yeah. But really shook things up in the industry and allowed a lot of artists to get out of their bad contracts. Right. Uh, around the same time. So good for them. The ultimate irony is that they end up staying with MCA in the end. Hmm. <laughs> because so Do they do the bankruptcy? Yeah, they do the bankruptcy. Option? They have to do the bankruptcy. Wow. They declare bankruptcy um they're looking for a new deal and they end up staying with mca because they meet a new younger record rep who was able to get tom and the band the royalty payout and the autonomy that they wanted so they kind of just like treated it it was a lesson in all legal parties involved right a lesson for the record label water under the bridge they go make a new album it is not the last of the legal drama that we will encounter with this group. Uh, in 1978, they released their third album. This is still when they're Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. It's called Damn the Torpedoes. And this album did really, really well. It very, very quickly went platinum, um, which is a big turnaround from not being played on the radio. Yeah. Uh, the singles off this album were Don't Do Me Like That, which hit number 10 in the US, which was their first top 10 single, and Refugee, which hit 15 in the US. And this is their breakout album. So what happens after that? There's pressure to do it again (laughs) from the record label that's already fucked them over once. And so they start working on their next album, which is Hard Promises. And the band starts fighting, specifically between Tom and drummer Stan Lynch. And for visualization purposes, I want you to picture Uncle Joey from Full House. Okay. That's Stan. Because they kind of look alike and they have the (laughs) same personality um this is a great analogy it's it's very accurate stan describes himself as being the asshole of the band and being the clown like he just he would just goof off just for the attention like, cut it out yeah pretty much yeah. pretty much um you can you can tell that when they did this interview he had grown up a lot but he he's looking back and he's like yeah tom had every reason to hate me back in the day because i was a dick So at least he
0: acknowledges it.
1: Yeah, he acknowledges it. He knows that he would pick fights just to pick fights when he could have just, you know, agreed and moved on. Yeah. Um, he ends up getting fired for a few days during this recording process, but they did welcome him back. Um, they finished the album and uh they run into record trouble again when they're getting ready to release Hard Promises. The label wants to release the album at the list price of nine ninety eight, which at the time was called superstar pricing,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and was a whole dollar more than the usual price of eight ninety eight. And Tom didn't like this because he didn't want to charge his fans more money. Yeah, there was literally no reason to make it nine ninety eight. They didn't necessarily need the money, um, and he didn't want it to become an issue with his fans. So they were like, "Fine." You don't get the album if we can't get the price that we want. What? Um, like the royalties? No, Tom. Tom is gonna withhold the album from the oh, record label. Oh, I see. Okay. He said you can either not have the album, or we're gonna call the album Eight Ninety Eight. What a move! I, I love that it. is a chess
0: move. You have just moved the Rourke into the right position.
1: They don't call him Tom Petty for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> um, he did win that battle mca said fine we'll sell it at 898 and they end up releasing it with the original name of hard promises but
0: now i want it to be 898
1: 898 that would have been amazing
0: yeah
1: um and he says in in an interview that i watched he may have won the battle but he did not win the war Because the record label made him pay for that stunt for a very long time. Oh yeah, I bet. He did not get treated well. The album did do really well though. It was a top 10 hit. It went platinum. It had a hit single called The Waiting. It also includes the duet Insider with Stevie Nicks. Mm -hmm. And then in 1982, Ron Blair, the bassist, he just leaves. One day he just says, band life is too much for me.
0: And just pieces out?
1: Bye, yep. <laughs> what do you go do? He just retired. Okay. Um, it it kind of shocked the band. They didn't really they weren't expecting that he was gonna leave. Uh, and they have just kind of scramble to find a replacement. They do, they replace him with a guy named Howie Epstein that fall and start recording their fifth album, which is called Long After Dark in nineteen eighty two. And once again, Stan gets fired for a few days. <laughs> He says, what a trend. He says, there's two things you can do to get fired from a band, sucking or having a bad attitude. And I probably did both. (laughs) I really like Stan. We stand Stan. We stand Stan. After Long After Dark is released, Mm -hmm. it's a lot of afters. They toured for 18 months straight.
0: Jeez, that's a long time.
1: And then immediately went right into Tom's home studio to start working on the next album. That's a long... That's, that's a long there's time. There's no
0: rest in that.
1: Being together. I mean, we already know that Stan and Tom aren't getting along. Yeah. That's Wh- a long time to be together. Yes. And then they go right into his house. Like a hiatus would have been nice. Even a month. Probably. Would have cooled
0: the temperature down a little bit.
1: Probably. Uh, and they go into this session with the idea of drawing inspiration from their southern roots and life in Florida
2: we're gonna take it back a little bit back to 1992
0: oh yeah that song it was like almost on my list
2: but it just didn't make it all right you're bringing in wrestling references now oh yeah i'm gonna bring in a little bit of everything i heard that song so many times at a strip club who hasn't heard it at a strip club i'm sure it's being played at some strip club right now I know it's a Christmas song. (laughs) Yeah, you went weird on this, Brian. I'm sorry. Bro, this is left field, man. I don't (laughs) care. It is such a great song. What's up, everyone? This is Gomez. And I'm Brian. And we're the dynamic duo and co-hosts of Playlist Wars. A podcast where we, along with a special guest, pick a musical artist, band, or topic, and each create a 10-song playlist that we feel best represents them. Then we turn it over to you to vote for which one of us got it right. You can find us at PlaylistWarsPodcast.com or wherever fine podcasts are found.
1: Now there's an issue because these sessions are just happening in Tom's house. There is no producer overseeing them, which means that these sessions turn into one long two-year party. (laughs) Of course it does. <laughs>
0: that's going to make the record label happy.
1: But you know what else enters the picture? Drugs. Yeah. Because. Miss Cocaine. Because we're there. Um, and the record label and people involved at the time got really concerned that the album was not going to happen because the drugs got so bad. Uh, they say in, in, in the interviews that they managed to keep Hollywood out of their lives until this point. But Tom met some really bad people and got into a really bad place. And it came close to just everything blowing up in their faces. At one point, Tom got so frustrated during the mixing process that he punched a wall and broke his left hand. Oh, geez. Yeah. Which one, your life is playing guitar. He, He was a Kyle before Kyles were Kylan. Yeah. It took surgeons rebuilding his hand with wire and studs. Holy cow. And nine months of physical therapy to be able to play guitar properly again. He punched it that hard? Yes. Yes. That's insane. Um, But don't worry. Things get relatively back to normal. Because in 1985, the band partakes in Live Aid, the Philadelphia one, not, not yeah. the London one. Uh, They play four songs at the Philadelphia Leg. And later that year, they release Southern Accents, which is probably the band's best known album, at least if you grew up in Virginia like I did. This includes Don't Come Around Here No More, which was produced by Dave Stewart. I don't know why I put that in there. It's not important. (laughs) Um, And the song's video is really fucking weird. Really fucking weird. It features Tom Petty dressed as the Mad Hatter, and he's chasing Alice from Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. And then in one scene, he cuts her and eats her like she's a cake. Ew. So, really, it was the TikTok trend of is this cake before TikTok existed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you did say he was on cocaine. So, uh...
1: cocaine was definitely involved in the planning of this video. I don't like that, though.
0: That bothers me. The
1: video makes me really uncomfortable, and I don't like it
0: yeah I probably wouldn't watch it I'd
1: rather watch the um, Aerosmith Pink video than watch this video and that says something so what do they do after they release this they got a tour again but they end up touring with Bob Dylan ooh which he's gonna be a key player in a minute Uh, the tour led to the live album Pack Up the Plantation Live and then they joined Bob Dylan on his True Confessions tour And they also played some dates with the Grateful Dead in 1986 and 1987. Nice. There's a lot of um, collaboration happening Mm -hmm. in this space. In 1987, because Tom loves legal drama, this isn't really drama, but uh, he sued tire company B.F. Goodrich for a million dollars because they were using a jingle in a commercial that was really similar to his song, Mary's New Car. Um, the ad agency said that they had sought permission to use tom's song but they but tom said no and so they just like wrote a really similar song yeah who won that don't do that yeah don't do that that's not a good idea and so the judge ruled in tom petty's favor issued a restraining order prohibiting the ad from playing anymore and they settled out of court um, but it made a pretty big statement on artistic control and freedom. And we'll see some more instances of this happening in a little mm-hmm. bit. So they release Let Me Up I've Had Enough in 1987, which was between tours with Bob Dylan because they, they're now bros with Bob Dylan. And then Tom is in the news for something kind of crazy. It It is crazy. His home just fucking catches on fire. While him, his wife, his kids, and his housekeeper are in it, like oh jeez, it was it was a very traumatizing experience. I bet they were just chilling, and a fire alarm goes off, and they have to rush outside. Uh, the housekeeper got burns on her head and arms, mm. and th- but the family got out unharmed. But this is a massive fire. It took ten fire companies and forty firefighters an hour to put out the blaze. Holy cow! because it was just burning so hot and fast um amazingly like the whole house was a smoking ruin but the basement recording studio was unharmed
0: that's fantastic so like that's a lot of money to replace that
1: yes um and so like your house catching on fire wasn't traumatizing enough investigators learned that it was an arson like someone walked into a stairwell doused the back staircase with a flammable liquid um are you kidding no to this day like i when i was pulling this together last week i was looking for new information the case is still unsolved so okay so
0: someone just waltz into his house yes with no one knowing nope and starts a fire and walks out yep like
1: do you not keep your doors locked this is the 70s no why because it's the 70s. It's a- <laughs> this is why there's a serial killer problem in California. Okay. <laughs> this is why you all... Like, were people just that
0: trusting in the yes. 70s? That, like, I will be totally fine. Also, Nothing
1: bad is going to ever happen to me. To be as big of a celebrity as he was and not have, like, a security yes. team.
0: Well, that's the thing. I was like, where's AT&T or whatever it's called? ADT.
1: Yeah. And I'm like, oh, a it's A bodyguard?
0: Not- yeah. What is it? 1980s what? This is... 87 yeah so 87 like surely some security system has to be out by then apparently not
1: well yeah i I had no clue that his house caught on fire like that it's crazy
0: especially because someone just waltzed in and was like you know i'm gonna set tom petty's house on fire today
1: yeah that's insane some crazy fan i'm sure or and maybe an anti-fan i don't know um, but because Tom Petty has no chill, he goes on tour two days later, oh, homeless geez. with no possessions. But he did say that being on tour was really therapeutic because otherwise he would have had no structure in his life. Yeah. And like touring was something that he knew and could do and felt productive. So traumatizing life experience. Mm-hmm. So on this tour, after his house fire, he meets our friend Jeff Lynn. That Jeff Lynne of ELO. Oh. Which if you have not listened to that episode after this one, go back and listen because Jeff Lynne is a fascinating person. He is. Um, he, he is also going to be important. So pin him for a second. Uh, Jeff Lynne and Tom Petty wrote Free Fallen together. Which I did not know. Really? Yes. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Until- I didn't know that
0: was a Tom Petty song until now. <laughs> I thought <laughs> it was you too. <laughs>
1: great someone just turned this show off i'm
0: sorry (laughs) listen i got blind spots in my rock history what can i say (laughs) i'm
1: kidding i'm kidding um and once they wrote that song tom released his first solo album after a decade of being with the heartbreakers which the band was not super thrilled about
0: well it's kind of like you're ready tom petty and the heartbreakers it's not like the heartbreakers (laughs) and tom Petty going solo you're really just like axing half of your name
1: a good good point but the, the band wasn't thrilled with it um so on top of being in the heartbreakers or tom petty in the heartbreakers mm-hmm. and his solo career he also gets another project going without the heartbreakers which the time has come folks we're talking about our first super group Ooh. so in 1988 tom petty joins george harrison's super group the traveling wilburys which also includes Bob Dylan, Roy Orbison, and Jeff Lynne. That's a good lineup. It's a damn good lineup. Um, This had been a pet project or like a dream project of George Harrison for a while. He first mentioned traveling Wilburys publicly during a radio interview in February 1988. He had just released his Cloud Nine album and they asked like, what are you going to do now? And he said, what I'd really like to do next is do an album with me and some of my mates It's this new group I got in mind. It's called the Traveling Wilburys. I'd like to do an album with them. And then later we can just go and do our own albums again. Mm -hmm. So it was supposed to be like a temporary project. Um, And he worked with, there's a lot of he's. George Harrison worked with Jeff Lynn on Cloud Nine. So they became pretty good friends. Mm -hmm. And George Harrison was like, "Let's, let's start the band with the two of us. Like we work together really well. Let's do that. And so they started chatting like, well, who else do we want to add? And so George Harrison picks Bob Dylan. Jeff Lynn was like, let's get Roy Orbison. And then when Tom was touring and he met Jeff Lynn, they were like, that's it. That's the fifth. That's the fifth piece of the puzzle. They all bonded over They're All five of them have like a mutual love of 50s rock and roll. Yeah. And so the group was born. And the term Wilbury, because I wanted to know... I did write why they were called the Traveling Wilburries. This this term came about during the recording sessions for the Cloud Nine album. They are referring to recording errors created by faulty equipment. And George Harrison would joke to Jeff Lynn, we'll bury him in the mix. <laughs> Wilbury. I love that. Yeah, so then they would use the term for any kind of small error... And George Harrison said, well, let's be the traveling, the trembling Wilburys. And they were like, nah, that's not great. So they changed to the traveling Wilburys.
0: I love that. And I also like want to see this lineup. Like I know we're not going to, but I want to see this lineup.
1: There is a, um, a really good, very short documentary that I watched about it. And just watching them, I don't know if I talk about this in my outline or not, watching them work together. Yeah. It's like magic. The i five of them being because they're
0: room. all different music
1: they're all different they're but they're all fucking different. geniuses yeah in their own right so they're having uh jeff and roy orbison jeff lynn and Roy Orbison are having dinner and george harrison asked jeff to help him record a track and roy orbison's just there and so they're like eh, let's just do it while we're here we're having mm-hmm. dinner so the three of them go into Bob Dylan's garage studio because I guess they're having dinner at Bob Dylan's house, and they were, had no like they can't just call up a studio because it's yeah dinner time, and they just start re- like piling around and working on things, and they end up birthing the song "Handle with Care," which was literally named after the label on a box in Bob Dylan's garage. <laughs> I love it. Which is adorable. <laughs> I love it. And so, George Harrison takes this like makeshift recording of the five of them to uh, Warner Brothers executives, and he's like, "Well, let's just throw it on a B side for something mm-hmm. that he was releasing." And the executives were like, "Um, no, this is this is not a B side track. Like, you got to make an album out of this." And so, Jeff Lynne and George Harrison are like, "Well, maybe this Willbury band." can happen like let's 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 play with it I I liked this quote from George Harrison that said the thing about the Wilberries for me is if we tried to plan it or if anyone had said let's form a band and get these people in it it would never happen it's impossible it just happened completely just by magic just by circumstance maybe there's a full moon or something like that it was just a quite magical little thing really um so just just so you people at home can keep tabs two of the five are British. Mm-hmm. Three are American. And they're all fanboys of each other, which I is the most that. adorable thing this to watch. Is,
0: this is The Millionaires. Yes. Is exactly what it is. Like, it's
1: adorable. Yeah, it's it's so great. And uh, they're all five musical geniuses, as I said. So they make a full album together, creatively titled Traveling Wilburys Volume 1. And um, they some genius... Filmed the whole process, blessed them. That was later edited into a promotional film called "Whatever Wilbury." <laughs> I love that. They recorded their first that first album in ten days. Wow! In May of 1988, because Bob Dylan was getting ready to peace out and go on tour again. So, like, it was now or never. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, I watched a little documentary on the creation of this album, and they work so well together and they had this kind of like dream setting once in a lifetime opportunity to make an album together. Um, and the way that they wrote it was really cool. The five band members would literally sit in a circle with their guitars in the kitchen and just like pick out a basic track that they wanted to work with from each other's brains. Um, and they would, write and record right there at the kitchen table wow. and then they would record vocals in another room after dinner each night so they'd get the backing tracks and then do the vocal layovers so on the on the one of the very first days of recording tom petty said because he was a really big fan of bob dylan and mm-hmm. they had spent some time together on tour and he was fine working with him but george harrison felt the need to like tell bob dylan We know that you're bob dylan and everything but we're gonna treat you and just talk to you like we would everyone else (laughs) and bob dylan replies well great believe it or not i'm in awe of you guys so it's the same for me i love that like i said they're all fanboys of each other this album comes out on october 18th 1988 and it was a critical and commercial success it revitalized the careers of bob dylan roy orbison and tom petty And as George Harrison had intended when he wanted to make this group, Mm -hmm. it kind of like broke the, what was currently happening in the scene. It's 1988. So like hip hop, synth pop, and acid house music are starting to make a come come up. And then you get this like beautiful acoustic mastermind. It's
0: like almost Crosby, Stills, and Nash is what I'm kind of taking from it i don't know if that's what it sounds like but
1: one of the um reviewers at the time wrote in a review that it the release this album was like a viking longship docking in a hovercraft terminal
0: (laughs) that's a great line
1: i love it because it was just such a it was not a 1988 sounding album Mm -hmm. um it had two successful singles achieved triple platinum certification and was nominated for several awards and won the nineteen ninety Grammy nineteen ninety Grammy for Best Rock Performance by a Duo or Group. So while all this is happening, because because no one sleeps in the eighties as we've yeah. just determined. Well, why
0: would you when you have cocaine?
1: Yeah. <laughs> but really, though, uh, Tom is releasing the album that he wrote with Jeff Lynne because they're off doing their own thing too. And that's that,
0: a lot of side projects. Yeah, yeah. that's a lot.
1: I remember when we talked, we did the yellow episode, that Jeff Lynn stayed very, very busy all the time. Uh-huh. So, this is part of that. That album was called Full Moon Fever, came out in 1989. And if the Traveling Wilburys were hot, Tom was hotter because he hit number three on the summer charts with that album, which was the highest that he yeah. or the Heartbreakers had ever uh, achieved. And when he tours this album, he tours it with the Heartbreakers, which is kind of weird, kind of pisses the band off because they weren't involved in the creation of this album. Um, the only Heartbreaker who was involved was Mike Campbell, who played guitar on the album. All the rest was session musicians or other friends of Tom. Yeah. Um, so it was just kind of like a weird dynamic. After that tour, Tom starts really digging working with Jeff Lynn. And so he's like, hey, Jeff, come work on the Heartbreakers album with us. Um, but the, the band relationship is not in a great spot because they've been fighting for years. They're not pleased that Tom's doing his own thing over here.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, so tensions are high. And while they're working on this next Heartbreakers album, Tom starts working on his next solo project simultaneously, which is Wildflowers. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and he does bring the band in to help from time to time everyone in the band gets a role in the finished product except stan stan you did it to yourself man so um unsurprisingly stan leaves the band uh because everything comes to a a boiling point around this yeah wildflowers gets released in 1994 and i had a section written about this but then i was like i can i can do better than just me telling you about wildflowers so i'm gonna pass it over to my friend brian colburn from playlist wars and he's gonna give us some insight about wildflowers because he's infinitely more knowledgeable about tom petty than i am i was one when this album came out so i can't tell you about (laughs) it so um cut to brian
2: wildflowers by tom petty for a lack of a better word is his absolute masterpiece This is the album that truly defines who Tom Petty was as an artist and takes all the music that has been put out over the course of his career and sums it up into one perfect statement. The album spawned four singles, You Don't Know How It Feels, You Wreck Me, It's Good to Be King, and A Higher Place. All four of them are fantastic songs, but there is so much more that this album has to offer Any one of the 15 original tracks could have very easily been a single and probably should have been. In the case of songs like Honey Bee, Crawling Back to You, Cabin Down Below, there's just no shortage of fantastic music on this album. Let's just say there's so much fantastic music on this album That it was originally intended to be a double album. And the label gave Tom Petty a hard time about it. Which just shows how much labels know. Because in 2020 they re-released the album as Wildflowers and all the rest. And the 10 songs that were left off of Wildflowers could have very easily been put out as a double album in the 90s. Too much success. Songs like Somewhere Under Heaven, Climb That Hill... Something could happen. Leave Virginia alone. All these songs could have very easily been on rock radio in the 90s. So I feel like that was a mistake on the part of the label, which was remedied somewhat on the songs and music from She's the One soundtrack because some of the cuts that were supposed to be on Wildflowers made it onto this. But uh, I really wish they would have been where they belonged, which was Wildflowers. I feel, yes, the album was ambitious from Tom Petty to do a double album, but he did it and did it right. Working with Rick Rubin brought out the best in what Tom Petty can do alone, as well as what he does with the Heartbreakers, who are all the session players on this album, minus Stan Lynch, who did not play on the album. Instead, we have Steve Ferrone, who started playing live with the band the following year. Here's where he made his studio debut. Now to kind of highlight a couple of the songs. Tom Petty's no stranger to opening up an album with a slower song. He used Free Fallen to open up Full Moon Fever. And here he uses Wildflowers, a stripped back, beautiful acoustic number to open up this album. And it might give people pause because they might think they're going to be in for a snoozer of an album. But that's not the case at all because you have songs like You Wreck Me and "Honeybee" that are just up there with some of the more rockin' tunes that he's ever done. You Don't Know How It Feels, encapsulates that classic Tom Petty vibe. It just speaks to the masses. This was the first song released after Mary Jane's Last Dance, which was the massive hit he had from his Greatest Hits compilation. So this is the kind of song that it does have a little bit of that 90s feel, but make no mistake, there's still the classic Tom Petty element to this song, and it works really well, and I think it was the perfect first single to put out from this album, because The album does incorporate rock, acoustic, country, Americana, and this song has a little bit of all of that mixed in. As far as songs like You Wreck Me, I mean, come on, this song just kicks all sorts of ass. This song rocks. When a song is covered by Taking Back Sunday and they can't really make it any heavier, that just goes to show how much the Heartbreakers amped up for Tom on this song. And then you have songs like It's Good to Be King, When he plays that live, the song on the album is just over five minutes long. But when he plays it live, it stretches out to 10, sometimes 15 minutes. But it doesn't feel like a meandering jam. This song just grabs your attention and holds on to it for that entire period of time. Honeybee is a down and dirty rocker. This is actually one that when we did a Playlist Wars Tom Petty battle, I included as my representation from Wildflowers because this song... Really, as much as You Wreck Me Rocks, Honey Bee is the perfect example of 90s alternative hard rock with Tom Petty, and it works so well. Now, the Foo Fighters have covered this song, and once again, they did not bring the heft that the Heartbreakers brought out for Tom Petty on this song. And that just goes to show that sometimes you can't mess with perfection, and a lot of the songs on this album are simply perfect. I truly wish that Tom was still alive today so we could have seen the Wildflowers All The Rest tour that was discussed about when he was talking about this album being re-released in its original form. However, unfortunately, that will never come to fruition. But if you do not have Tom Petty's Wildflowers and All The Rest, I highly suggest you give that version a listen first because that's the way he and Rick Rubin originally intended the album to be. And I just feel like when you listen to it in that light, it gives you a whole new respect for the amount of amazing music these guys were able to accomplish in, in one session. It's truly a masterpiece of an album. Anytime someone says, where do I start with Tom Petty, I always go with Wildflowers. It is an absolute perfect start. If you're looking to introduce yourself to the world of Tom Petty outside of the radio hits, this is where you should start. But make no mistake, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers and Tom Petty solo, there's not a bad album to be had. But this one just rises to the top.
0: That's really good insight. So one thing that was going through my head when I was thinking about it, so Tom Petty's in his 40s when this comes out. Because it's
1: 1994? 1994 and he's born in 50. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So he's in his 40s when this is coming out. His greatest, like one of his most regarded albums. Yeah. That's really like, it's just always cool to see when artists, because a lot of people, I feel like a lot of people in the music industry and the record labels make this very huge mistake. And that if you're not in your 20s, more importantly, anywhere from the age of 20 To 25. Like it's this five year window, right? Like you're going to have it all fucking figured out with a bag of chips in five years. Let me tell you something. That doesn't happen. Very seldom. We're still stupid. Yeah. (laughs) Correct. We haven't figured it all out. No. Um, But, you know, it's just like if you don't like figure it out by then and have that successful career in those days and then like, you know, 25 to 35, you're touring your greatest hits, right? And then that's it. Yeah, and then you just do that, so you die, and it's just like the idea that, like you know, we can make great music in our forties. It's it's still you're in your
1: prime when you're in your forties. You're in your prime, exactly. You've got some life experience under your belt, right? You you've you fucked up a couple times. You've done some drugs. You've learned the bad lessons. Now you're just vibing.
0: I just wish we would just realize that there's really good music past that window
1: yep you know again record labels don't know anything no (laughs) they really don't but yeah when i think tom petty i think of wildflowers so thank you brian for that insight because that's way better than i would have said about it the only thing that i'll add to what brian said is because we usually throw this in there when we get to them that in 2020 this album was ranked at number 2014 on 2014, God, <laughs> number 214 on the Rolling Stones' Greatest Albums of All Time list, which is honestly lower than I expected it to be ranked, yeah. but it's there. So remember how Tom Petty likes to sue people from using his music right? that he doesn't agree with? 2000, during the 2000 presidential campaign, he sued <laughs> George W. Bush <laughs> for using I Won't Back Down <laughs> during... during his campaign and um after his death his family did the same thing to donald trump in 2020 (laughs) i love it because tom would have never stood for a song of his being used in a campaign of hate that's what you got to do so good good for tom in 2006 tom petty and the heartbreakers headlined the fifth annual bonnaroo music festival which i didn't realize that bonnaroo that old same but it is and part of that that Bonnaroo was part of their 30th anniversary tour and it included special guests Stevie Nicks, Pearl Jam, the Allman Brothers Band, uh, and the Black Crows. That's a good lineup. If you were at Bonnaroo, there's probably no point ever going to a show again if that was what you saw. Yeah. On February 3rd, 2008, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers performed during the halftime show of Super Bowl 42. Which was the Giants versus the Patriots.
0: I remember that. Considered to be one of the best Super Bowls of all time. I was I was very stressed out during that game as a Giants fan. The Giants won. Yeah, I know. In the last two minutes I remember it was like the Patriots were ready to win in the last two minutes. I don't know what happened to Eli, but he
1: finally woke up and he goes, Pa, pa, pa. Any game great. the Patriots win is a good game. So yeah, I mean Patriots lose, lose. Is a good I, was game. I hate the Patriots. You. Let me go on record and say that. Um, And I have to say, we've talked about several Super Bowl shows now. Mm -hmm. They've all been terrible. Uh, But this and the Rolling Stones are my favorite so Mm -hmm. far. And petition to bring back rock and roll to the Super Bowl halftime show. That'd be fun, wouldn't it? Because we're missing that. Um, So unfortunately, Tom Petty did pass away in 2017. He was found unconscious in his house, not breathing and in cardiac arrest. I thought he died in 2020. 2017. What? What? Really? I thought he died in 2022. No. Um, no, 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 no. Because I posted about it. No, it's 20, on my Insta. October 20. That was uh, Van Halen. You're thinking no. of Eddie Van Halen. Yes. No, I'm not. He died I 2017. I swear to you.
0: I remember posting Tom Petty dying. And I was like, man, what a legend. Nope.
1: He died in 2017. No. Yes. <laughs> I don't ex- Time is a construct. What, what glitch in the
0: matrix has this done to me?
1: It was 2017. Um, he was only 66 years old. A memorial service was held on October 16th, 2017, which was four days before what what would have been his 67th birthday. Um, they didn't know like what caused it for a while. Mm-hmm. They didn't have confirmation until January 19th. 2018. So he died in October. No wow. confirmation. The L.A. County medical examiner determined that Tom had died from accidental mixed drug toxicity. Ugh. So Tom had been experiencing a number of medical problems right before his death, including emphysema, knee difficulties and a fractured hip that he was prescribed pain medication for. Um, and he had been informed on the day of his death that his hip injury had actually worsened and he was going to need surgery. And, um, he on September 28th, 2018, so like almost a whole year after mm-hmm. his death, his widow Dana gave an interview to billboard saying that Tom h- had been putting off his hip surgery for a very long time. Like he, she said that he had it in his mind that this was going to be his last tour and he owed it to his longtime crew from decades. Like, some of the, the crew have been working with him for decades and his fans. She said that he was in a really good mood the day before his death. He had just done three shows in L.A. He'd never been so proud of himself, so happy, and he was looking forward to the future. And then it was literally just like a medication mix-up. Like, wow. he, it just, his medication reacted badly and he was gone. Ugh, that's and scary. it's, re, it's like, one of the saddest deaths that we've covered because it was so accidental like it wasn't he wasn't taking drugs trying to get high anymore like right he just had a bad mix of painkillers and that's what it was um so tom petty obviously has a legacy we're sitting here talking about him on the show he's sold more than 50 million albums both with the heartbreakers and as a solo artist He's won four Grammys, been part of the Traveling Wilburys with his heroes George Harrison, Bob Dylan, and Roy Orbison. And he's been on too many sold-out tours to count. Uh, He was the 2005 recipient of the Billboard Century Award, which acknowledges creative achievements of artists whose musical contributions are still ongoing. As Brian mentioned, they re-released the originally intended wildflowers and more last year mm-hmm. that was i think that was maybe what brought tom petty back to through surface last year it. it was everywhere for like a couple weeks in in the music sphere this the wildflowers and more um and that is the story of tom petty like like we always say that is the the bite-sized taco bell drive-through yes. version of tom petty so if you're interested in learning more please go do so but good pick guys i don't know if it have probably taken me a while to do tom petty if yeah. i had not been if it had not been chosen for me to do this month i'm not drinking anything because fun fact we didn't fit our recording into one night last time no nope. like we normally do because we talked for 47 yeah. minutes about blue ridge rock fest
0: i, I had a whole <laughs> diagnosis of blue ridge rock fest And I had to deliver the
1: results. So we did not get to record. So we're recording this separately, which is very strange. Yeah. I'm drinking a diet Snapple, like I mentioned. Oh, yeah. Lemon flavor, which is
0: not my favorite, but... I have water. I'll take it. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. Thank you for listening. Please leave us
1: a review. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Um good pods what you can leave a review on apple podcast or good pods oh okay uh leave us a review on apple Podcasts or good pods or
0: wherever you see a review and you're listening to podcasts, and you go hey you know i think i'm gonna leave a review go do it um special thanks to death of fawn for our intro riff You can visit our website at shewillrockyou.com. There you find our social information, our show notes, how to contact us, and our merch. Other than that, don't
2: do drugs. Don't do drugs.